Yes. <laughs> well, You're running late. Our guest, acclaimed psychic medium, Vincent Jenna, will share with us today his experiences of being bullied in his childhood, working in movies like Grease, and how he became a highly effective messenger, a dynamic speaker, and an internationally and beloved spiritual teacher and leader. Vincent says, Stop being stoppable and start being unstoppable. You are now listening to the International Taz and Paula Show, and I'm Paula. And I'm Taz. Now, for over the past 29 years, Vincent's life experience, extraordinary psychic gifts, and authenticity have allowed him to inspire and change the lives of thousands of people around the world. He's a metaphysician, working with individuals and groups, and by intuning to your soul, angels, guides, deceased loved ones, past lives, and spirit to obtain guiding messages that he uses to help you recognize and clear blockages that are stopping you from connecting to your highest selves and spirit. And his thoroughness, he is able to support you in unleashing the real you. Vincent, it's such a pleasure to have you with us. Welcome. I think Vincent's with us. Yes, it is me. Oh, great. We just got through introducing you and telling our listening audience a little bit about you, but there's a lot more to learn. (laughs) So, (laughs) while while perusing perusing your website, um, I read about uh, how you wrote about your own uh, childhood where you were physically and mentally abused and how did you turn out without hate in your heart? I mean, after all of that. Oh, that's a great story there. Um, I don't know. No, no, it actually is a little bit deeper than that. You know, I never had a sense of hate from the beginning. I couldn't understand, though, why they hated me, why they didn't like me. And so... I was left with this this feeling of, of uh, I'm not believable. Why don't people believe in me? Maybe I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough, that type of thing. But then there was another part of me that had resilience. That was the, the talent that I had within me. I was an actor. I was a singer and very good at a very young age. So that kind of got me some of the attention and the acceptance that I needed when I was on stage. But... Knowing who I am today, in hindsight, there was probably a a part of my spirit and my soul that knew this was all going to happen. Because there's a part of me that that believes that I I had a soul contract with so many of these people, especially with the way my life went. And um, I just never had the need to have to forgive them. I just automatically did. That's why they loved me so much afterwards. From my 10-year high school reunion on, these tormentors actually became some of my closest friends and followers, believe it or not. Well, that's a real gift, I say, to uh, be able to forgive because, or not to hold any grudges because if you do, that's such a heavy thing to carry. So you were able to not have that. That's wonderful. Oh, yeah. It would have been my burden, not theirs. You know, we know that, right? Yes, yes. So do you believe that after some of, you know, as time passed on, when they saw that you did not hold any grudges, did it come back in that direction back to you as well and and how they felt about you? Totally. here's Here's the funniest thing. By the 30th reunion, they dedicated it to me. Because of at that at that time at thirty years you're now in your late forties approaching your fifties and so many of them were actually trying to hunt me down via the internet so that they could uh, ask for forgiveness. They said that I, I received emails like um, I've taken care of so many things in my life and and issues that I had, but the one bad taste I have left in my mouth is the way I treated you. 
And then I would write them back and telling them, oh, please, you were a kid. You were going through your own torments. And, and you know, how do we know I didn't ask you to treat me like that? We don't know that for sure. But in any case, you didn't mean to be who you were to me. And and now I'm, you know, I'm a great spiritual teacher because of it. And because I responded that way to them, they dedicated the 30-year reunion to me, and like I said, and with just unbelievable feelings in their heart of love for me. And till today, no matter what I post on Facebook, these people, I'm talking about the first guys who punched me, the first guys who threw me in the dumpsters, the first guys who, who peed on me in the boys' gym, they're following me, they're liking things, they're reposting things I post, they're always commenting positively on everything that I do and I teach. And now we have the 40th reunion. I cannot believe I just shared that. 40 years coming up. Oh, my gosh. That I just gave away my age. Can you edit well, that? <laughs> and they're all writing me asking me if I'm coming to the reunion so it's been spectacular it seems like you, you, you've you uh, lit a light for them uh, maybe opening doors that wouldn't have been opened if all of this hadn't happened well, I feel that that's my journey here. And and the reason why I'm feeling that it's part soul contract is because what I do for people today is only because of what I felt myself yesterday when I was a kid. And I know the torment and I know what burden people are carrying in their hearts and the blockages that they have. And so my my role in this life, my passion, absolute passion, is to help as many people believe in themselves and love themselves unconditionally as I can. Have you uh, been involved with uh, teenagers or children that are being bullied right now? I mean, this is in the news a lot. It is in the news a lot. Un- unfortunately, I'm not as involved as I'd like to be. You know, it, it it doesn't seem to have an effect when I write some of these organizations saying, hey, I was like severely bullied and here I am today doing real well and I didn't pick up a shotgun and go into the school to kill anybody and I still haven't killed anybody. And um, I'm not getting as great of a response I would like, but I do a lot of posting. Uh, When I travel around the country, I do talk a lot about it. Uh, I would love to, and I do work with uh, some teens indirectly via their parents, um, and when their parents are telling me that you know they've been bullied, I certainly will speak with them individually. Uh, not as not as great as I would like because it's a, it's a very painful process, and I'm so grateful that there is this out there. But one of the things that they have to understand in all these organizations, the bullying doesn't start in school; the bully starts at home. And so we need more programs that are willing to go into the home of the bullier and help from where it starts because no child just automatically walks into a school and decides to punch another kid in the face. That's not the way it works. That kid was bullied somewhere along the line, and he needs and she needs to be healed just as much as the bullied. That's so true. Right. Vincent, That's when terrible. you um, Vincent, when you are with someone uh, like a child, are you able to see really what the blockages are without even talking with them? Are you able to? Sometimes I wonder if there might be a few words that one could speak and it would go through to their soul, and they would be able to understand immediately what they were feeling or what they were going through and being able to release that is that is there a possibility of that actually that's an extremely insightful question because the answer to that is yes one of the reasons why children don't share their feelings is obviously they always believe that nobody understands them and to a certain extent they're correct because parents are so busy protecting them 
they're not getting deep down into their feelings. And, and everybody, every parent has an intuitive feeling. But, of course, having developed my psychic ability, yes, I can see a child right away. And I'm actually, I actually work on that now. Whether it be a child or whether it be an adult, I can see where the child's hurt was and actually relay it to them, to the adult. When you do it with a child, it does open doors. When you speak what the child's pain is, then the child can go there. But a child doesn't know how to speak it yet because he hasn't developed or she hasn't developed the vocabulary or the understanding of his own emotions. So you have to do it metaphorically. Children um, understand things in metaphors, all right, because they're, they're always seeing stories. So they don't understand the I for a long time now. And, and even, even when they're 10, 11 years old, um, the, you have to come in the back door with children. Uh, I did a lot of I was a psychotherapist professionally for many years, and I worked with a lot of children. And it was very easy for me to relate to them because I wasn't talking to them as a parent. So I knew, I knew the developmental mind. I knew how to come from the back door with a child. So the, the simple answer to that question is absolutely yes. I can see the blockage. I can see the pain. And I can open the door to communication by talking with them about it. And then you wait there. And you wait and you allow them to decide whether they want to talk or not. Uh, a lot of children don't like to talk. And and most of the questions that you need to ask them tend to be more yes and no, closed-answered questions, not open-answered, right? An adult, you can ask an open-ended question, too. You know, uh, what did that feel like? A child is like, that must have felt really bad so that they get to say yes or no, you know, that type of thing. Um, but yes, but I still use, I use that same technique with adults. I see what their blockages are. I see where their hurts are. I see where their scars come from. And you know, it's really interesting. Rarely are the majority of adults blockages and problems created as an adult. They've all been created as children and they're carrying their child mind belief within them. What I call the I'm not. I'm not lovable, I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough. That all came from the environmental messages they received as children. And that till today is governing most people. Is that interesting? Yes. I want want to go back to how you got involved in all of this because I read on on your website that when you were uh, 28 years old, um, some phenomenon things happened to you that kind of opened you up. Can you go into that a little bit? Yes, and I can't wait to become famous one day just so that it can be made into a movie, and I want Steven Spielberg to direct it because it definitely is (laughs) one of those Steven Spielberg epic things. You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) But he won't won't make it into a movie until I'm somebody. Um, The funny thing is, and again, this is the reason why I connect to God thinking that this whole thing I planned out, the kid who antagonized me the most, the star football player, he never beat me up himself, but he did antagonize the other jocks to abuse me. At my 10-year high school reunion, I had just done the movie Grease, because if you also read my bio, you see that I was a 35-year professional actor. And one of the things that I did, is my claim to fame, is I was a featured singer and dancer in the movie Grease with John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John. Well, that got me a lot of mileage. i got to tell you that. And what it got me the most was acceptance when I went back to my 10-year reunion. Now, the same kids that had tormented me were now all over me, loving me. And you know what? I didn't care. If that was the way they were going to love me, so so be it, you know? I just let them. It was just a different pace. And so the kid who antagonized me the most came up to me, embraced me in a hug, and wouldn't let go, and then was around me the entire night. And without saying the words, would you please forgive me, I felt them. So he became a good friend of mine. But he was also the one, you know when you go to your first reunion, there's always that guy or girl who has to impress everybody. This guy rented a Porsche to go to the, to drive 
to the reunion, this real expensive car, right, to make everybody think he was really successful. But something inside of me was telling me he was full of it. You know, being in New York, not only do you create BS, but you can see through it real clear. You know what I mean? And and a New York Italian, too. We have extra talent. Um, (laughs) Anyway, I, I started to hang out with him, and the more he kept telling me about how wonderful his life was, the more I knew he was lying. And But he was covering it so intensely because it was hurting him so much. So my wife and I had been over his house in Connecticut for the weekend, and on the drive home, I was crying like a baby because I felt so bad for him. And all I could do was to cry out to God. Now, remember that adage, be careful what you ask for? Well, I didn't know that back then. And I cried out yelling, can you please help me help him? Help me help people like him. I know he's hurting. I know his heart is breaking over something, and he can't open up. He can't share it. And and I don't know how to help him, and I want to because I know the pain of that. I want to help heal him. God, help me heal people. Oh, boy. Well, that definitely (laughs) opened the floodgates. Within the next couple of months, that's when the Steven Spielberg stuff started happening. Psychics were being introduced to me that I was never involved with before and then now giving me all this new information about me. Remember, all I cared about at that time is I was an actor. I wanted an Academy Award, a Tony, and an Emmy. That was it. You know, I didn't want any psychic gifts. I didn't even know of psychics except for the, the Magic Castle in California where they did magic and did some readings there every so often. So psychics were getting involved with my life, and then I found out that friends were trances, and then I found out that I have this guy following me that's going to change my life, and now I'm supposed to be a spiritual teacher. And then there were swirls of plasmic spiritual stuff around me that all these people were seeing and voices coming out of other people's mouths introducing themselves to me and all of this stuff went on and then my head was filled with information and knowledge I had never heard of and then I was starting to be able to read people's minds and and tell them what was going to happen to them and, and I couldn't help but speak all of this out. Now, My wife at that time had known me. I was dating her since I was 17 years old, so she knew me 100%. She had no idea where this information was coming from. She knew I had nothing to do with it. And, and, And she didn't know whether to call the local priest and have me exercised, call her rabbi and have me blessed or circumcised, I don't know, or send me to Bellevue and lock me up. She didn't know what to do. Luckily, she decided to, to support me and follow me through this because she knew I didn't know this information. Well, we took trips to libraries. And at that time, the self-help and the, the spiritual help sections were called the occult section. And we mm. used to pick up some books in the occult section, like the teachings of the, the masters of the Far East and all of these ancient wisdom books and we would open them to, randomly to any page. And whatever was written there in the page, I had spoken. And that's how my journey began. And when I realized this was all happening to me, then I, then I was guided to people to speak to about what was happening. And the, and the idea was, okay, if you open this floodgate and this door, this must be your destiny and purpose to be a spiritual teacher and helper. Matter of fact, the one psychic medium who started it all for me, she just kept introducing me to all of her people and around town that I was going to be this great spiritual teacher. And I was like, this is just daffy. Um, I mean, I appreciated God and Jesus because I was, you know, a good little Roman Catholic and an altar boy. But I knew that the priests were teaching God wrong. I didn't know what the right answer was. So it wasn't that I didn't believe in God or didn't believe in a Jesus or any of the, the leaders. I just didn't liken myself to be one of them. And I couldn't help but follow the path because it was just like so strongly set before me. How do you ignore something like that? 
do you, do you think that the acting um, kind of helped open this a little bit before it happened? I mean, oh, it yeah. did, it did. As an actor, you have to be real genuine with your emotions and feelings. So I was always in tune with my emotions. But more so now where the acting has helped me is I know how to reach people. If you get a chance to come to one of my lectures, you'll see what I mean. I put on an entire, shall we say, a production where I open a person's soul, mind, and heart from the very beginning. So when I get in there, by the time I get in there, I can give them whatever message I need to give them. I can tell them what their blocks are. I can tell them that they're they're fooling themselves. They accept it all. They hear it all. And then they use it because I know how to reach them. You know, that's what I did as an actor. I held people's hearts in my hand. I made them laugh. I made them cry. I made them think, right? And so right. I knew that that had all part to do with it. It had Isn't to. It, funny? it had to. Isn't it funny how spirit gives you tools to use before you actually do what you're supposed to do. You just bring in your whole life oh. as a different tools. Yeah, I, when I sit and think of my past, as I'm writing my book now, God, It's Not Working, and I'm including my past in there, and as I'm writing it, now when I'm looking back, everything is so clear as to why I was who I was how I got along in the world, how others perceived me from a, a young child to all the way to what I'm doing now. It's like complete connect the dot, and, and, and the picture is so clear. That's what I, I love about the God source, and he also has a great sense of humor. Because <laughs> he certainly made some funny Let things happen in my life, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you, when someone hurts actually someone else in what they say to them, what are they really trying to do? Mm. Boy, you ask great questions. Are you a psychologist? Because <laughs> those are real. No, they're serious. Those are real in-depth questions. Okay. First, two things. So there's two parts answer to that question. Number one, in order to be hurt by what another person says, you have to have had a thought in between what that person says and what you hear. All right? So feelings are created by our own thoughts. That's number one. So when a person says, you know, I think you're really stupid and ignorant and I just can't stand you, you have to have a thought between that statement and your emotion before you have an emotion. And it usually is such a quick automatic thought, you don't hear it. And it brings out one of the I'm not. So if that little child's mind inside of you is believing, I'm not lovable, right? When the person says something like that, he's pushing or she's pushing that child's mind's button. And the quick automatic thought was, I'm not lovable, that's why he doesn't like me and he thinks that. And then you feel bad. And then to cover the bad feeling, you feel immediate anger towards the other person. Why the other person does that, here's the sad thing. You know the old adage, misery enjoys company? Yes. Well, I even had my own mother say to me one time, when I was 42 years old, I asked her, why she was lashing out at me the way she was lashing out was she intentionally trying to hurt me. That was, I was always that guy who, you know, called the elephant out in the middle of the room, and I did that with my mother too, and that's what she hated about me. But I had to. I, I didn't have a choice. And her answer to that question was, yes, I want you to feel the hurt you made me feel. And so to answer that question in the second part, people lash out because if they can hurt you, then for some crazy reason they feel they mattered. They feel you really do care somewhere along the lines. These, this is, 
What you see out here in life with everybody lashing out at each other is the Cain and Abel story. And Cain and Abel's story was actually a very metaphysical story. And the metaphysical meaning of the story of Cain and Abel, when a person feels connected to their God source, they feel loved. The, the, in, the, in the story, when they're connected to Adam, right? They feel loved. They feel like Abel did. You know, they, they feel love from the divine feminine, love from the divine masculine. They feel connection. They feel value. They feel worth when they're connected to that God source. When they're not connected to the God source, they feel abandoned. They feel dismissed. They feel ignored. They feel like Cain. And when you feel ignored and you feel dismissed and you feel abandoned, you want to lash out at the part that is connected. And so the Cain inside of us, when we feel that way, actually lashes out and, and tries the, to hurt the able, loving part that's connected to the God source. And we see that in physical form all the time. Did you know that Osama bin Laden was child 51 in the lineup of his siblings? 51. Wow. Right. Right. Do you think by the time at the end of the night, mom and dad is walking down the line, good night, John Boy, good night, Peter, good night, George, good night, Jimmy, good night, Sarah, good night, you know, Ahmed, uh, good night. <laughs> Do you think they ever got to Osama bin Laden at 51? So that man never even had the chance to feel love, to feel love. Hitler was sexually molested and abused by his mother and father until he was 13 years old. He wasn't lashing out at the world. He was trying to lash out at himself and the angers and the hurts within him. So that's what we do. We take it out and we project it on our brothers because we're hurting so bad. And if we affect them in some way that gives us a satisfaction that that somehow or another, if I can make you upset, that means you still care. Because you know how people get into arguments, and if you don't respond, they get even more pissed? Yes. Right? Right? Okay. Yes. Because then that, that's letting them know I really don't care. So it's all about self-hurt. That's what it's all about. Well, the people who play victim... Do they attract people to them to confirm that they're uh, not worthy? Oh, absolutely. It, the energy that you you put out is based solely on what you believe about yourself. So a person doesn't intentionally play victim. What their feeling is, okay, I'm not lovable. How can I get love? And so there's the poor me syndrome. Right, And so the poor me syndrome is the person who talks about all the horrible life that they went through. Oh, my God, no matter what I turn, touch turns to, to garbage. You know, nobody really likes me. Um, I do all these wonderful things, and people are always taking advantage of me. I get that all the time when people sit in front of me with readings, especially women when they're talking about their relationships and all the guys who abuse them. And I turn around and I tell them, well, as soon as you stop wanting to be abused, you won't attract someone who will abuse you. So we attract exactly the energy we put out. So to absolutely answer that question, yes, they will attract it to validate it. It's called self-fulfilling prophecy and there's another name for it, you know, um, they, the person who believes the building will crash on them actually walks someplace and a building crashes on them. You know, something falls on them. They get hurt. They get, it happens all the time, which is what tells us that if we can create it in the negative, then obviously we can create it in the positive. Right? Right. And my question is, who wants to? who would want to be abused? The same person who wants to remain depressed. If you believe you deserve it, okay, give you, for example, in children's cases, 
as a social worker, as I was a hospice social worker, but as a social worker, there are positions in adult protective services and child protective services where the social workers will go into the home and actually try to remove a child from an abusive situation, right? And as if removing the child, no matter how old the child is, what is the child yelling? Don't take me from mommy and daddy. It's my fault. I'm bad. I deserve it. Okay? All right, now let's jump right up to adults. We have a a wonderful agency here in Raleigh. It's called Interact, and it works with women who are in abusive relationships and and, uh, victims of domestic violence because these women won't remove themselves from the situation. They're sitting there with the counselor saying, no, it's not his fault. I make him angry. I deserve to get hit. So when we carry that belief, we actually accept being abused over and over and over again. And, we, and, and the proof of that is we abuse ourselves over and over and over again. So there are some who do it intentionally and there are some who do it unintentionally, but it's, it's what they know, it's what they're used to, they're comfortable with it. And that's like that's some of our biggest problems as therapists is helping people to get out of that need to stay depressed, you know, or to stay unhappy. That's, I mean, a lot of people in the world is they stay unhappy because they're afraid to be happy. They may lose it. It may be taken away from them. You know, it won't last. All of those negative things. So that's one of the reasons. It's a very sad reason why. You know, why does the little boy go up to the mommy and daddy to tell them and admit that they've done something wrong? Sometimes it's because the only attention they get is punishment that they would want that. You know, especially when they don't receive a lot of love. Isn't that crazy? Yes. I'm a, I'm going to jump up to uh, when you were in hospice. Uh, I is that when you became a medium, or were you a medium before you started working in hospice? No, at, the, at 28 years old, when I went through that spiritual awakening, that's when I became everything. That just opened the floodgate to everything. So I became psychic, I became medium, and I was able to use all of that in my hospice work, which is very interesting. Did you learn a lot during your hospice work? Oh, my gosh, yeah. If you want to know how to live, work with the dying. You will die the way you live, and that is the biggest lesson that I teach people. You know, unfortunately, when you're on hospice, you're not dying pleasantly, okay? It's long and drawn out. Maybe some it's not as long as others, but you either have cancer, some horrible heart disease, some horrible lung disease that's lingering. It's not a blessing like you got up in the morning, you went to play golf, and you collapsed on the, on the golf course on the 18th hole. That's, that's not hospice. Hospice are the, the real um, downtrodden, horrible, then many times suffering situations. And from the work that I had done, not only as a psychotherapist, but mostly as a psychic, I was able to see into these people's lives. And honestly, the majority of them had such miserable self-image um, um, and, and lack of self-love that it actually turned into a cancer. I'm truly a believer, like Louise Hay and so many others, that physical is the result. Even Deepak Chopra believes that our physical evolvement is the result of our spiritual and mental evolvement. So whatever happens to our bodies is caused by something emotionally. And all of these people who were dying of cancers had cancers all their lives, just in different forms. So... It taught me all of that. It taught me how to help the living. I knew that that was another progression in my ability to be able to help people is with working with the dying. All the way up to the last part, there's no better way to be able to teach people how to live 
then go to the end of life first and then come and work backwards. You know what I'm saying? See the end. See the way you can leave. See what causes you to leave that way and now come and fix it. And so that's well, I, what re- it really helped me. Go ahead. I learned a lot from my about my mother. She uh, had Alzheimer's at the end. And I learned how she actually thought about herself during that time, how she talked during that time. And I didn't realize how insecure she was until that point in my life. So it was I will tell you this, yes. Um, my mom had Alzheimer's also. Alzheimer's is not a disease. It's a defense mechanism. Think about this. Your brain and your body is so perfect that your brain will cause and control things to happen in any way that protects it. So, for another word, you have a bug or a virus in your system. It raises your temperature. It sends out white blood cells to fight it. If you're not breathing correctly and getting enough oxygen, it makes you pass out. So it does all of these unbelievable, intricate things to keep you alive. What do you think the brain is going to do when you have constant negative thoughts and bad feelings of your life? One of the best ways to heal that is turn it off. And the way the brain turns it off is through loss of memory. So we look at Alzheimer's as a horrible disease, which it turns out to be. Yes, I understand that. But when I look at my mother, she was sexually abused by her brother until she was 13 years old. That's what turned her into an obsessive-compulsive person and felt very dirty and disgusting her entire life. Do you think when she's in her 70s and 80s, when, when seniors do nothing but ruminate and reminisce all day long, that that's what she'd be reminiscing on? Or the abuse that she put my brother and I through because of her mental illness, that's what she'd be ruminating on? Which pain would be more? The idea that you're forgetting or ruminating on your past life and how horrible it was. Forgetting is less of a pain. Yes, my mother was was frustrated over the fact that she was forgetting, but that was so far less of a pain than her thinking and remembering the beginning part of her life that entire time, so she forgot it. She forgot it completely. And I was able to help her die a little bit peacefully. But yes, you're right. You get to learn what they were thinking about themselves. But most of the stories, most of those things that really hurt them, they forgot about. So that's why I say it's a protective mechanism. Well, my mother thought when when she had this that everyone was talking about her. And I thought, you know, she she hid that part of her from me. She was probably always thinking that other people were talking about her. Yeah. And that was the example. There's a lot of totally. other things that came out. Yes. Yeah, my mother was very paranoid, so dementia, but, but she let us know. Go ahead. Is dementia the same aspect as well? It is not as bad because dementia is not as bad. All right. Um it's like a lot of things. My father had dementia. My mother had Alzheimer's. My father, his worst pains were he was the enforcer, so he always beat us, right? Well, with my father's dementia, he created such an incredible life. We traveled everywhere. He never raised his hand to us. My brother and I used to sit there laughing because we were like, what family is he talking about? You know, <laughs> but... That's how my father died, thinking that his earlier life was wonderful. And that's what dementia can do for you. It replaces your life, you know, where mostly Alzheimer's makes you forget your life. Dementia then replaces it with another story that you like. And and for most people, now there are some dementia, definite dementia patients that get very nasty. So, it, it, you know, it's not general. Some it's, Dementia can also be like alcohol. 
where it releases some of the the real person inside. But yes, in the in the long run, dementia tends to help you to forget also, and and we can avoid all of that. There's an incredible book out called Younger Next Year that we should all read now. When you're 50 and above, and oh, you know what? I did not mean to say that and assume that both of you are 50 and above. You sound very, 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 very young. But <laughs> this, these are this is a good book to read even if you're young. Okay. What was the name and of it again? It's called Younger Next Year. There is a version for men and there's a version for women. And it's absolutely incredible because there's two, there's, I believe, uh, what is it, a doctor and a social worker, and they write about how 70% of aging is by choice. 70% of aging today is by choice, which means the way we see people aging, only 30% of it should be natural. The rest of it, we are decaying. And we shouldn't have those. You know, I forget things now. I'm sure you forget things now. But I don't forget so horribly. And if you keep your brain active, you keep your life active, and you care about yourself, and you love yourself, and you keep yourself amongst people, and you eat right, you know what? You will die right. So true, so true. Yeah. Well, okay, let's go. I want to talk about your book, and I know it's not quite out yet, but um, let's let's talk about that. God, it's not working. Is your book? Yes, that's tell us right. About Great your title, book. isn't that? <laughs> I tell you where I got that so, from. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, it's about. All I see are these people. Oh, let, let me back up. The self-help and spiritual help field has generated billions of dollars in sales of classes, books, seminars, lectures, and author upon author upon author upon expert upon expert upon expert. Wonderful stuff, don't get me wrong. As a matter of fact, even Hay House is having, did you see the World Summit that they're doing with over a 100 speakers, and it's for free for people? Okay. Well, people have been doing this for a long time. There is no longer an excuse not to have information available to us as to a different way we can live our life. And these people, the majority of the world, have been tapping into all of that. They've heard it somewhere along the line. And they try this and they try that. They go to hear Tony Robbins. They go to hear Wayne Dyer. They listen to Oprah Winfrey. They're watching Ellen DeGeneres. No matter who they are watching, they apply these things over and over and over again and keep end up saying, but God, it's not working. That's why I came up with the title. And the book is really about, I use part of my life, a memoir, to tell you how we first have this key ability that makes everything we attempt turn into reality. And as children, we don't know it's a key ability, but it's working. As young adults, we wind up losing it because then our defense mechanisms step in. And the long and the short of it is, what I was talking about earlier, those I'm nots. When we're a child, the environment helps to create these beliefs in us, the I'm nots. I'm not worthy, I'm not lovable. As we become adults, those I'm nots don't feel good. Those maladaptive beliefs do not feel good. So the adult-made mind kicks in. That's what I refer to it as. The adult-made mind kicks in all these defense mechanisms to shield us from the environmental made mind with the I'm nots in it. And it makes like Freud talked about all those defense mechanisms in there, right? Rationalization, intellectualization, displacement, all of that. Well, as we're studying to become better people, the part that processes everything, it's, it's like trying to bake a cake. 
You use all these wonderful organic ingredients. You use Rachel Ray utensils to mix it all together and the bowl that you put it in. You put it in an incredible pampered chef baker and you stick it in an expensive gen air oven. But if you don't do the most important thing first, you will never, ever turn those ingredients into a cake. The first line of instructions in any baking recipe is to preheat the oven. Turn on the heat. Well, the process that turns on the heat to everything that everybody is doing and attempting is complete and unconditional self-belief. And it's so simple, but the problem is people don't believe what they think they believe, which is the reason why it's not working. Your core self-belief is down in your soul. It's not in your human mind. It's down deep inside of you. Well, with all the protective mechanisms that we've got, that's a wedge. That's a block between your true self-confidence and your conscious awareness. So one of the things that your adult-made mind does is it creates a false sense of self-belief. And a false sense of self-belief isn't hot enough. It isn't good enough. It's not strong enough to turn what you're doing into reality. So what I teach, I actually do this as a lecture, God, it's not working lecture. Your life is a direct barometer for how much you believe in yourself. Because here's why I say it's self-belief. The God force is constantly on inside of us. God became us. That's, the, you know, whatever you want to call it, spirit, whatever. And we direct that power to create our lives. So it's your belief in yourself and, and, and your connection to that God force that ignites all of that. So therefore, if you don't have the life you want, if you're not creating, if you're not abundant, if you don't have the job, if you don't have the finances, you don't have the relationship you want, it's because you're not believing in yourself and therefore you didn't ignite the power to create it. So I use that as a barometer. Use your life. You know the degree you believe in yourself by what you've got in front of you. And if you want more in front of you, you need to believe more. If I'm good enough, I'm lovable, I'm worthy, I'm magnificent, I'm a child of God. That's what belief in self is all about. And by believing that, you direct the energy to whatever you want to create. So that's why, God, it's not working. So it's passion. Yes, it's, it's passion. Passion. Yeah. passion in yourself. It's what Jesus tried to tell us when he came down here. It was his whole example. The kingdom of heaven is within you. I and my father are one. You and I are brethren, which means you and your father are one. And you need to believe that. You need to love that. You need to honor that. It was all about love, 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 and love of self, and then love of each other. You'll automatically love your brother the moment you love yourself because it feels so good to love your brother then. Right? Right, right. Mm-hmm. So there's where the book so is turning your from. light on. Yes. Turning your light on. I love that. Turning your light on. In the yes, soul. turn your light on. It's like lighting it up. Yeah. It, yeah. it is. Yeah. But if you oh. don't believe you have a light, or if you think you're just a pilot light or a night light, you'll never, you'll never expand. You'll never evolve to what you can. Well, some people says it's not easy taking one problem at a time. They just seem to line up. <laughs> you're, you're right. And, and as a spiritual counselor and mentor, I bring people right down to the one problem. All the other problems in the adult life stem off of that one. For example, if you walk around with a pebble in your shoe, a tiny, tiny, tiny little pebble in your shoe, you could eventually require an arm amputation. Did you know that? Right? No. Think about it. Yes. You're walking around. The pebble infests your bottom of your foot. Your bottom of your foot is hurting, so you don't walk balanced. You don't walk balanced, throws your spine off. Throws your spine off, you now can get a pinched nerve. The pinched nerve or the pinched circulation going to any part of your body can actually cause a, 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 a disease, a weakness within that body. How many people 
are having surgeries all over the place because of some ailment located on another part of their body. So it's the same thing spiritually. You can have a million and one problems that you think of, but what it really comes down to is only one pebble in your shoe. It throws your whole lovable. body off. Throws your whole body off. Throws your whole life off. I'm not lovable throws off everybody's life. And it's the only problem facing the world today. All those other I'm nots actually translate into I'm not lovable. If I'm not smart enough, that means I'm not lovable. If I'm not good enough, I'm not lovable. If I'm not pretty enough, I'm not lovable. If I'm not worthy enough, I'm not lovable. Love is the way we were created. So therefore, love and the lack of it is the only issue that we're facing today. That's simple. Do you know that I just solved the world's problem on your radio show today? <laughs> well, just think of how many people are walking around thinking they're not loved or they're, <laughs> but they're the majority, not lovable. Yes. The majority, right? Yes. The majority of the world and those yes. who are not in the job they want and not financially abundant, not healthy, not in loving relationships, not impacting the world, they're all feeling I'm not lovable to one level of degree or another. And it comes in and out. I mean, even for me, my my little pebble, my little scar, I do a workshop called Stop Stopping Yourself and Become Unstoppable. And one of the things I talk about in there is find your I'm not and then mentally tattoo it to your forearm so you remember it and see it all the time. So therefore, every negative feeling you ever have, you can connect the dot to that I'm not. It's the little child's voice within you that's saying, I'm not good enough, that actually is making you feel negative, including when you're at the supermarket and the cashier is not going fast enough with the guy in front of you and is having a conversation and you're getting mad. It's because of that little voice inside of you that says, I'm not lovable, that's causing you to get mad. Vincent, that is really empowering, you know, to literally lift that cloud and, you know, burst burst it and allow the person to see themselves really and then go forward from there. That is really empowering. How can you heal what you don't see needs healing. Mm-hmm. Right? You need to see it. It's painful to see it sometimes, but it goes away so quick. It's it's like a quick thing. It's like removing the Band-Aid all at once. We just recognize it. We, we, we stop ourselves and we BS ourselves and deny our true feelings because we're so afraid to feel what we're really feeling. No, let it come up. You You'll handle it. It's people who are depressed are people who haven't allowed themselves to feel. They're suppressing it. They're denying it. They're making all of these excuses, and it actually comes up in a form that they can no longer deal with, and it turns into a depression. Now they're forced to feel everything all at the same time. And that's, <laughs> it all comes at you like a big storm. Oh, it totally does. It totally does. But if you just allow yourself to feel, if we just all turn around and admit, you know what, I'm not feeling very lovable today. You know, I'm feeling down. I didn't get accomplished what I want to get accomplished, and that's making me feel bad. I know why I'm feeling bad, because that little kid inside of me is telling me, you're not good enough. That's why you didn't get anything done. No, I'm good enough. See, then there's part two. Part one is recognizing what you're really feeling. Part two is then talking yourself and reparenting that child because it's not true, right? If a little kid, if your son or daughter came up to you and said, well, Mommy, I'm, I'm not really good in school. I, I didn't get an A on a test. I got a B on a test. I'm not good. Nobody, I'm, I'm not lovable. Nobody loves me. You'd be the first to turn around and say, Honey, that's not true. It's okay if you got to be... Right. Oh, that's my parents. My parents would just say, "Just try harder." (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? That well, don't you see? Okay, you just said an important thing. We learn two of the most important things from our parents, and really only two things. The rest of the things we learn from the world. The two things you learn from your parents are whether you're lovable and 
how to love yourself. So whichever way they treat you, that's the pattern you learn how to treat yourself. So when they've said, well, try harder, I can guarantee you that during your life, when you've not achieved exactly what you wanted to, you kept telling yourself, well, just try harder. You have to try harder. You have to work harder. You have to try harder. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right? That's yeah. because that's what you heard. Yeah. It's what we all heard. That's exactly. why we heard we're not good. That's why we hear that voice in the back of our head. So now tell yourself, wait a minute, that's not coming from the adult me. That's coming from my little girl. Oh, honey, you have worked hard enough. For goodness sakes, look at how much you've done. Look at how far you've come. You know? Because yeah, we don't... This, before, we, we, Vincent, we just have a little bit of time. Let me kind of backtrack a little bit, let people know uh, the name of your website, which is your name. It's uh, Jenna. Dot com and that's Vincent V I N C E N T Jenna is G E N N A. Um, there is a phone number you can call. Also, it's nine one nine four eight zero fourteen zero one. Again, nine one nine four eight zero fourteen zero one. The book. Can you tell us when the book will be out? Do you have an idea? I'm hoping it's within the next year. It takes it. It takes a year at least before they they wind up putting it out. Um, I have some people that are interested in it, so we have to see. Well, I'm finishing it up. I'm going to get that done pretty quickly. Um, but I'm also going to be traveling around the, the country doing my lectures, and people can always find out what I'm doing on my website. I do have one coming up. I'm doing the Whole Life Expo with Gary Zukoff in oh, Chicago. Oh, yeah, you're going to be the keynote, going to be the keynote yes, speaker. Yes, yes, um, in at the end of May. So that's going to be a lot of fun. So if people, and if they come to the website, they can also download a free audio version of my lecture, God and Your Ego Are One. That's a real interesting lecture. you got to listen to that one. <laughs> yes, it is. It's beautiful. Thank you and, so um, much. But thank okay, you for inviting me here. Well, we've had a, a lot of fun with you and, and learned a lot, and I'm sure our listeners have learned a lot today. Oh, Absolutely. Okay, the other thing I want to let people know, you know, you you are so giving in um the reading area. You it's really inexpensive for people to have readings by you and so letting people know to take a spot at a time out and give you a jingle and email you so that that can be done if that's what they would like to do. I've had a couple Thank of you. already. Thank you. They're, they're very intense, informative, a lot of guidance, and a lot of message comes out from the reading. So I feel very blessed that I'm able to do that for people. So thank you for mentioning that. Yep. You must be well, two people so wrapped in ones to be able to travel and do all of this all at one time. <laughs> well, it's what spirit gives me the energy to do, and it's it's the self-love that lets me take care of myself, and my wife and I do it together. So it's it's been an incredible experience for the both of us. So, again, I feel very blessed with it, and I love being a service. And when you allow and when you believe you are filled with unlimited ability and potential. So that's what I have to believe I'm tapping into. And Well, the game of life is so confusing at times. It's nice to have someone like you support unraveling the mess. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad you say it as a game because, you know what, aren't we supposed to enjoy the games we play? Yes. Yes, that's the yeah. whole reason for playing them. So let's take this... You know, it's like playing the game Monopoly where people get too serious. It's like, oh, for goodness sakes already, you own 14,000 hotels. What difference does it make now? I'll just give you all my money. Let's just have fun and play the game. So let's not take life so seriously and ourselves so seriously that we cannot believe in what we're doing and have fun while we're doing it, right? Right. We're, we're the author of our own book of life. Yes, we are. And everybody has to remember that our story, especially that hard story in the beginning, is only chapter one. 
Oprah Winfrey's book would be absolutely boring if she started off chapter one, I was a successful talk show host. She can't start there. She has to start with the abuse and the pain because then the evolvement to what she became is what's inspiring and wonderful to read. So everybody has to remember that. Their stories are only chapter one. The rest is in their hands to write. What a perfect ending. (laughs) Thank you so much, Vincent, for for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you both so very much. I really enjoyed my time here today and hope to be speaking with you sometime soon. You will. Yes, please. (laughs) That's great. We'll stay in touch. And thanks to all the listeners. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now.